No matter what you've done, the worse it is, the more the jury's going to think that no normal person could have done it. You follow me? So we work out a routine. Say you're two people. One good, one bad. You start hearing voices. The bad boy telling the good boy what to do. He doesn't want to do it, but he can't help himself. You see? You're saying I'm a schizo. No, Warren. I'm saying that you'll walk out of a crazy house alive. They'll carry you out of a gas chamber dead. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Fascinated with Films. Seems like one of those things you really shouldn't have to tell someone. I don't know. Maybe you just didn't read the manual, and he was like, I don't know. No one said anything. There's not like <laughs> a gangplank, usually. If you look at the snowmobile he has, it's yeah. nothing but track and then, and then things. So I assume in those types of mm-hmm. like combines, do you actually just step on those tracks to get to the uh, driver's seat? Or is there a way to get to that driver's seat? No, you got to step over on the track. The track. Yeah, well, that's crazy. You're not supposed <laughs> if, to do it if it's moving. If you're away from the uh, news, this is we're wondering about Jeremy Renner snowmobile accident. Uh, sending thoughts and prayers for him for sure, because I couldn't imagine it—a sixteen thousand pound thing running over me, let alone 100. one. Uh, I think it said sixteen thousand. No, I saw pounds. it was a commercial. It was a consumer grade. Yeah, I would one. look up. No, it was massive. I mean, it's not. It's bigger than consumer. I mean, it's the size of like four of these. Uh, dining room tables it was massive it has like this might be one of the tracks uh the size of it it was big because they've shown nothing but pictures of him like in it smiling apparently he's been posting on tiktok before the accident like look at me i'm in my snow <laughs> my yeah. uh snowplow so yeah i guess he was just helping friends and your family snowblow so, almost killed you yeah so what's been going on with you how was your we you haven't we haven't talked since uh, you got back from your uh yeah, we just New went Year's to the place adventure. near the beach. Well, near the water. Not what was it there's called no again? It's called Apalachicola. Yeah, man, that's such a Florida name, too. You know, yeah, everything down here is named after like town Native by Americans. the sea or something. Is that what it kind of no, is? Who yeah. knows? I mean, it is, but who <laughs> wasn't cold out there? Uh no, no, cool. Yeah, I love it. I need that. We don't explore much of like other parts of Florida around here, but I know there's a ton. It's a place that she grew up. My oh, wife. so she knew it very well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. And that was just for New Year's? or Well, for... we've been there now probably six times. Yeah. Maybe. So. Cool. Been fishing there? Yeah. You have been fishing? Cool. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not this, this last time? time no. Yeah. Cool. Nope. I just stayed home and uh, watched a whole bunch of movies so I can uh, inform back to you on some of the great movies that I've seen. I did this for you people. <laughs> <laughs> so I the final couple, uh, few movies of 2022, I've watched two since tw- it's turned 2023. So I've moved on to my new, new list, which is good because this other one was getting really large. I, I haven't gone through. I, I bullet pointed them instead of uh, numbering them. Numbering them would have been smarter. At least I would have known how many movies I had watched. But I didn't actually start this 2022 list until like May. So it's not... It's only about half the year, and it's huge. Uh, but I did watch some very good movies. Uh, none, none that made my fantastic list in 2022. That, uh, no, I don't think in the other one either. But in 2022, uh, there was a few other ones. Uh, I watched the the Glass Onion movie, the okay. Knives Out. Have you seen the original Knives Out? Yes. Yeah, it was good, and I, I like this one too. It I didn't realize that Ed Norton was like in it. And or Kate Hudson, Kate Hudson and Ed Norton are big kind of characters in the movie. I didn't realize they were in it, but I, I kind I of avoided some of the trailers for it. It's basically a murder mystery. It's it's this very cool. If you liked the first Knives Out, you'd like it. It was good. It made a lot of people's favorite list. I think it was it filmed at that house. At uh, no, it was on a private island. It was Ed Norton played like an Elon Musk. I don't. The Ryan Johnson said he wasn't. Uh, supposed to be an Elon Musk character, but I think over the last year, Elon Musk has become more Elon Musk. <laughs> so when it when it started playing, there's no one watching the movie who didn't think this was Elon Musk. It was very, he was very rich. He had his own island. He had all these people come out there. He was, he's basically doing a, uh, doing a, uh, a mystery dinner out at his house. I hate he, that dude. By so way. he hired who's this? Elon. Oh Musk. yeah, yeah. Well, he's an ass. But Ed Norton was good <laughs> in it. So it was good. It was a great little mystery movie. Uh, and if you like the first one, you like this one. So it made definitely made my very good list. Uh, one Brian De Palma movie that I had avoided for so long for some reason, just hadn't had the opportunity to watch it was Body Double. And I rewatched that. Man, that it just edged out being fantastic because it had a lot of kind of interesting little quirky things that were like, eh, that was all right. But the movie was really really good. I had 
no idea. I definitely had not seen this movie uh, because it was very complex and it was uh, it was kind of a a scam and a con done on one guy, and it was it was good. Another movie that I watched, one of the last movies I watched of 2022 that I had never seen. I'm wondering if you had seen this movie, and it's called American Buffalo. And it stars Bill Murray. Nope, it stars. Um, what was that one? That was the where the buffalo roam. Uh, so this was what's the year here? 1996. It's around the year where we'd be watching these indie flicks. Okay. So it's a three actor movie, and it's uh, written by David Mamet based on his play. So it's a play, and it all takes place either inside the. Uh, uh, I think the almost the entire thing, maybe ninety percent of it, takes place inside of a pawn shop, and it's just Dennis Franz, Dustin Hoffman, and this little black kid who is about maybe fourteen or fifteen, uh, and the whole movie is just them talking about doing a heist on the other side of town. And did this person call? Why didn't that person call? And it was all dialogue driven, very Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But I loved it. I think most people would hate it because it, nothing happens and it's all in this one place. But you could tell like in the first 10 minutes, oh, this was a play because is, these guys are just, they're getting their marks and they know the lines. And I, I love Dennis Franz. He's one of those actors that I think I love every year more mm-hmm. than the previous year. Especially if you watched a lot of those early De Palmas. He played pivotal roles in all the De Palma movies like uh, Dress to Kill, Blowout, uh, specifically. How many have screen presence? And I never watched him in that NYPD Blue. Never once seen him in it. And um, maybe he was great in it. I'm sure he was. He won Emmys for it. He won like three Emmys for that uh, thing. But yeah, I know him from the movies and stuff. But two movies I watched in 2023 that I wanted to uh, talk briefly about. Uh, one of them was from last year, 2021, uh, and oh, two years ago actually. Uh, and it's called Benedetta, and it's a French movie about, basically, if you read anything about it, the, the, the quick synopsis is it's a, uh, it's a French movie in the 1600s about lesbian nuns. It's directed by Paul Verhoeven, and people are like, holy crap, Verhoeven's back. Because if you look at Verhoeven's thing, really the only great movies he made was Robocop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers. Other than that, you can say Hollow Man if you want. Oh, Basic Instinct. No, I I stand corrected. So four. So once after Basic Instinct hit, Hollow Man uh, came out, and then Paul Verhoeven, I think, went back home. I think he went back to, like, Holland, Holland. and he did his little <laughs> indie flicks and everything like that. But this, and it was completely subtitled, but what's going on in this movie is crazy. It's really, really good. It's uh, So you're basically in this uh not monastery, but what is it called for nunnery? Months. Nunnery. So they're in a nunnery in like this small little kind of town in France, and it's uh, and this one girl who was brought there as a kid. We're seeing her as she's grown up, and uh, she gets the stigmata on her hands. And a lot of the movie is. Is she faking the stigmata thing? And then she ends up starting this like affair with this other new girl that came in. And you can't tell if she's if she's making up the stigmata thing to get away with having the affair. And it's very complex and worked in together. And she starts getting other parts of the stigmata. She starts talking in tongues and everything. And you're like, is she making it up? And it's a true story. It was based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Because then the, uh, I don't know what the uh, the Italian version of the uh, the Spanish Inquisition is. Or, or, you know, those people that come to... Uh, French Revolution? Uh, well, I, I guess it was the Vatican. So the Vatican came out to discover what happened and everything. But at the same time, there was a comet coming and the plague was happening. And, plague. and she started winning over the people in town who actually think she is like a messenger from God. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and she's like, this comet, this comet is a good sign and the plague will not hit the town if we lock the doors and don't let anyone in. And as a viewer, you're like, she's trying to lock out the Vatican. The Vatican, she knows they're going to come investigate her. So she's telling the people in town, don't let them in. They're going to let the plague out. And it's my word. So these people are ready to die for her. And you still can't, you don't realize if she's really a messenger of God or if she's just trying to cover up this affair she's having. It was fantastic. I, I really liked it. Actually, not fantastic because I, it didn't obviously make my fantastic list, but it, it was so close. I mean, I think on second viewing, it might actually make my fantastic list. I'm certainly uh, excited about Paul Verhoeven kind of being back, sort of. 
I also last night watched The Menu. Remember that movie? That uh, I actually had bought tickets to see it twice in the theater, and I canceled both times because I, for whatever reason. Uh, and now it's out on HBO Max. Just dropped HBO Max yesterday. It's the one with uh, what's uh, what's our guy from Red Dragon who plays the villain. Uh, Ray Fines, so it's got Ray Fines and Anna Taylor Joy and Nicholas Holt and uh, Judith Light's in it, John Lacazamo, and they're all like brought to an island to do this fancy menu, but you don't know okay. quite I what's going on. Yeah. There's a horror movie there, yeah. but they're not telling you what's going on and everything. And it was a very satirical look at rich people. Like the menu in Triangle of Sadness would be the perfect double feature if you just wanted to shit on rich people for like the next th- uh, four hours or so. Uh, and it was good. It was it was good. I, I wanted it to be better, uh, but it was really good. And the, the satirical nature of it was just like dripping, dripping on it, how rich people are uh, are scum of the earth and uh, the, the workers are a lot better. And uh, it was good. It was fun for sure. But today we are doing another 2B Tuesday. And this week we're doing arguably canon, one of canon's best films because they they put out like 300 uh, films and just kind of threw them in the air and every once in a while one of them would stick, you know, as being a pretty decent film. And the one we're going to talk about today, and I don't know Dave's feelings about it at all yet, is the 19, what's the year here, 1983's Charles Bronson canon classic, 10 to Midnight. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts it on? It felt like an older movie. It definitely. Well, 83. Yeah. I mean, well, those canon group, you got to you got to put canon in the context of any time you talk about a canon film because they're on shoestring budgets. They have limited actors. They don't have the best actors. Every actor that they end up drawing they end up discovering in discovering a lot of actors. Well, what they did, and they specifically did it with Chuck Norris and with Charles Bronson is I think the only way they agreed to be in their movies if it was like a big multi-million uh, dollar deal. Like, all right, I'll be part of your little Canon film production company, but I want 10 movies and I want $50 million, something like that. And because I think if they were going to pay these actors movie to movie, they wouldn't get anybody. They'd be getting who they, who we see them getting mm-hmm. every once in a while. I mean, you'll get Dudikoff in there. And these are the type of guys you get. Uh, but every once in a while, they'll do a good one. So let's let's talk the... The, the the standard plot and then we can go through the cast and the crew and all the trivia because there's a lot of good cast members in this that started out that you probably are watching and be like holy shit is that so and so or is yeah, that so and so there was a bunch yeah there was a bunch and some that I don't think you probably even realize you knew and that yeah that you know so why don't we talk a little ten to midnight so we're dealing with a kind of cop who's been on the job for his entire career doesn't have a relationship with his daughter no his daughter is kind of estranged and obviously that main cop is played by charles bronson the daughter is yeah. the girl from uh, beverly hills cop he gets a new partner uh, he gets a new partner who's the he guy didn't really from, like he didn't really yeah. like his new partner spit out his gum like in the crime scene mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah his partner's the like, guy from the fury is what crazy. i know him from i was like man that's crazy and then you have a crazy serial killer who's very reminiscent to Jan Michael Vincent. Oh my God, he looks he like a just not, like him, but and, and he, he not was, the greatest actor. But he was since, naked the whole day since time. he had to be. Uh, yeah, there was a trivia of somebody who was set to play him, and I was like, "There's no fucking way." Oh, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin screen tested that. Can you imagine him well, being naked they, through the whole movie? They no. fuzzed everything up pretty for sure, good for sure. Uh, it was, but basically on the surface, it's just a straight up like really good uh, serial killer action movie, not much as a serial killer drama. But the first, I loved the first 15 minutes. That first 15 minutes of this film really was great. And it basically showed how he would do one of his kills. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's, uh, let's talk a little of the cast. But basically, like we said, it's, it's a serial killer movie. Charles Bronson's hunting him, and he's going to go with, uh, do whatever he can. And we'll go. We're, this is definitely going to be spoilers. So. I mean, I wonder when uh, Ted Bundy killed. Yeah. Because. No, they, they said that they this was. Uh, three college age, uh, age girls. They said it was based on. And, and when it comes up, I'll jump to some of the trivia. Uh, and like. 
since it has come up, I'll mention it. It's been inspired by three life, real-life cases. Uh, the first was Richard Speck's murders of eight student nurses. The yeah. second was Scotland Yard investigator who got fired for planning evidence to convict the Thames River killer. And the third was Ted Bundy. Okay. So all three of those kind of combined made this, uh, made this kind of script. Uh, they got Charles Bronson. This was the first Charles Bronson, actually, because they went on to do a lot of Charles Bronson. Assassination, Messenger, uh, Murphy's Law. Uh, the director, too, was a canon guy. He went on and did a... This, this director is very interesting because his whole career, he started with some of the best, most famous movies you ever heard, and he ended his career just doing all canon stuff. Probably had a blast doing it. Uh, the guy who played the killer was named is Gene Davis. The the only thing else he's been really in is a lot of other canon pictures. He was in Messenger of Death, Universal Soldier, Stay Tuned. Uh, he was in Cruising, which is very interesting because this is compared to Cruising a lot. The the Al Pacino, uh, the uh, undercover gay kind of serial killer movie. Uh, Andrew Stevens, who's the one who plays his partner, uh, Paul McCann, he was in The Fury. Oh, he was in Death Hunt. God damn it, man. I still need to get you to see Death Hunt. I wish that was on Tubi. We'd be doing that next. Death Hunt is a great movie where Charles Bronson is like held up in the wilderness and Lee Marvin and a whole group of people have to go up the top of the mountain to get him out of the cabin and a cabin and basically 70 percent of the movie is just it's like a video game it's like uh conflict uh that conflict global terror when you're in that snow scene so there's everyone surrounding the cabin and they're just trying to get charles bronson out and charles bronson's got holes dug and traps and it's really fun uh but also for andrew stevens he was uh so he didn't do many uh acting stuff so he did the fury did death hunt but then he was like an executive producer on the Boondock Saints, three thousand miles to Graceland, the whole nine yards, and the newest, uh, the newer uh, shit, Kit Carter, uh, Liza Elbacher, who played uh, Laurie Kessler, which was the daughter. Yeah, she looks. Yeah, familiar. Beverly Hills Cop. She had just done yeah. Beverly Hills Cop the year before, so she looks very similar. Uh, she always sticks out to me. I always thought she was beautiful. Uh, she was an officer and a gentleman. Be- Beverly Hills Cop, Leviathan. Remember, she was the one that got it and died in the shower. Okay. Took her, uh, slit her own wrist in the shower. She's the one that drank the vodka along with Daniel Stern. She was in The Last Samurai. I didn't realize that. And also uh, Live Wire, which was that. Uh, I actually own it. It's. I haven't watched it since I originally watched it on HBO when I was like 12, but it was uh, some Pierce Brosnan action movie dealing with oh. it. It was kind of like Blown Away before Blown Away, which is weird because that also has Pierce Brosnan. Wait, no, Blown Away has Jeff Bridges. Yeah, I think it was Blown Away just starring uh, Pierce Brosnan. Wilford Brimley came in yep. for like a, a moment and a half yeah. just Betty, as Betty the White. captain. What's that? Betty White. No, Betty. I don't have Betty White listed here. Yeah, she was the mother. The mother. Of the first victim. He went to her house. She met him at the door. She was there for like 10 seconds, and then she was sitting in the courtroom for another 10 seconds. Wow. I didn't know that was Betty White. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis, who always comes oh, yeah. in to kills it. I love Jeffrey Lewis as the uh, the scumbag lawyer, even though he was, I mean, he was pretty legit, like what a lawyer, would, a defense attorney mm-hmm. would have to be for this type he of guy. He was kind of a scumbag, uh, too, defense attorney. Robert F. Lyons, who... Uh, who was the prosecutor. He has been in a lot of the other canon films, too. Death Wish 2, Avenging Angels. He was in Transylvania 65,000. I don't know who the hell he played in that. Uh, in Murphy's Law. But two of the young girls in this movie. One, one the, the one that ans- Yeah, she answered the door. She was yeah. the one that got it. And uh, this was her first film uh, for Kelly Preston. And the, uh, the very cute black girl in it was Michael Jackson's girlfriend from Thriller. Oh, thriller really? video. Okay. But she was also in Night Shift, played one of the prostitutes in Night Shift, played a prostitute in 48 Hours, played a uh, stripper in Fear City, which if it's still <laughs> on, that's another one of my two Tubi she knows, favorites. She knows her uh, She knows her sequence. Yeah, if Fear <laughs> City stays at Tubi, we'll, we, you and me will eventually do that. It's a really good Tom Berenger. Uh, Melanie Griffith plays a stripper, and she's nude for like 80% of the movie. Uh, but there's like someone's going around killing strippers and Tom Berenger is like the bouncer at the strip club, but he's working with uh, Tom, uh, Billy D. Williams, who's the police officer to catch the killer. It was really Billy good. Billy D, Billy D. Uh, uh, Ola Ray was also in uh, The Night Stalker. Oh, The Night Stalker, the good, the the one with uh, the guy from Maniac Cop, not the uh, not the serial killer one. And then she was also in Billy Hills Cop 3. So her name was Ola Ray, but she also her character was also named Ola, which is very interesting. 
Uh, so for the director, the director, this is interesting. The director is very interesting in that. Almost as interesting as the director of photography. They, they definitely shelled out on these two people for sure. So J. Lee Thompson was the director. And for the, like I said, for the first part of his career consisted of the Guns of Navarone, the original Cape Fear, Con- Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, the Battle of the Planet of the Apes. And this is where he starts taking that cannon dive here. He, he drank that cannon juice, and then he directed Happy Birthday to Me, King Solomon's Mines, Murphy's Law, Firewalker with uh, Chuck Norris, and uh, what's it, Bill, uh, Billy D. Williams? Not Billy D. Williams. Uh, what's our guy from, uh, from Digstown? He probably had yeah. full control, though. Death Wish 4, Messenger of Death, and then that Kinjite, uh, the Forbidden uh, Subjects, was one of the raciest uh, canon films. It was it was trash, but it was good. Uh, so the director, the writer of this, wrote The Magnificent Seven, <laughs> The Devil's Brigade, uh, Brigade, which is another great William Holden war movie, and then Major Pain, which is interesting. Uh, but the director of photography, dude, uh, it's a shame that I don't know this guy by name anyways. His name is Alan or Adam Greenberg. And he was the director of photography on The Terminator, Once Bitten, Iron Eagle, La Bamba, Near Dark, Three Men and a Baby, Alien Nation, Turner and Hooch, Ghost, Terminator 2, Sister Act, Dave, Renaissance Man, Junior, First Night, Eraser, Sphere, Rush Hour, Collateral Damage, The Santa Claus 2, and Snakes on a Plane. Holy crap, dude. That's a lot of shit. That's a lot of shit. I mean, retire and you got that. You got a really great freaking uh, discography there. junk in there, but it's Yeah, but it's still, those are all good movies that made money. All those movies made Mm -hmm. money. Yeah, a lot of them are garbage. I mean, the Renaissance Band and Junior, but... Uh, and the composer was uh, Robert O. Ragland, who was famous for Q the Winged Serpent, uh, mm-hmm. Assassination, and Messenger of Death. So they used a Canon guy that was on contract with Canon. Uh, have you seen Q the Winged Serpent? Mm-hmm. Man, it's a fun movie. <laughs> you don't think I it is? That one. It's a really good one. It's got Michael Moriarty. You don't, you don't realize how many really trashy movie that Michael Moriarty did. He got a little cred for that first couple seasons of Law & Order. He was the one they fired on Law & Order. He had... Uh, he was in Pale Rider with uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah. He, he was the one that was uh, working on the mine with him. He did a lot of, like, he did the movie The Stuff. Remember that's that marshmallow fluff that came alive and started oh. killing people? <laughs> Missed <laughs> that one, too. Uh, but Q the Winged Serpent is like a uh, uh, a dragon dinosaur type creature that's attacking New York City. And it's so cheesy, but it goes from, like, building a building and ripping people in out of the building and everything. And he has to find out where the Q the Winged Serpent is. Like He's, like, sleeping atop one of the uh, abandoned buildings in, in Manhattan. And he has to figure out how it is. And every once in a while, that guy, he comes out during the day and just snatches people out of the, uh, uh, the windows. So it's really fun, as you can clearly see. So, release dates. Uh, the details here. So we got March 11th. 1983, this movie came out. Filming locations, Los Angeles, Venice, West, West Hollywood. The budget was $4.5 million, but uh, ended up grossing $7 million. Like I said, if you, if you go through a lot of the canon movies and the people that are really can uh, fights, I'm not sure if they call them that, but I'm going to call them that. Uh, people that really love like trashy kind of movies. This one's like at the top of the list to the point where it's almost uh, can be spoken about in like good company. <laughs> uh, almost. Almost. Uh, so the trivia in the original script. Uh, Kessler was to wrestle Warren to the ground at the end, but Bronson said he wasn't getting that close to impersonal with a naked man, so refused to do it. So that's interesting. That sounds like the very... At this point in Chuck's life, he was very difficult, I think, on the movie sets. He, if he didn't want to do anything, he wasn't going to do it. And yeah. it, he just did what the fuck he wanted to do, I think. Uh, so the film was made in 82, which was two years before DNA uh, started to be used in criminal investigations. Uh Inspired by those real-life cases I mentioned, uh, Gene uh, Davis was acting so intensely that he uh, accidentally dislocated an actress's arm during the final murder sequence. I'm assuming it must have been that dark-haired girl uh, that was crying the whole time. Uh, Probably real cries. Film it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Kelly Preston was billed under her birth name, Kelly Palvis, and uh, and the movie was her film debut. R.I.P. Kelly Preston, man. We lost you too soon. Uh, Gene Davis wanted to break the ice with his co-star, so he walked around the set naked. Try doing that uh, again. I don't think that would work. <laughs> no. And apparently there was like, he even came out one time, the rumor was he came out one time with a, a red ribbon like around his penis. So, yeah. I think we keep that story in the background. So, Roger Ebert gave this film zero stars. 
Ebert's opening sentence to the review, which I would have, I would have printed this and put it on my wall if I was the writer Can. or the director. Uh, so Ebert's opening sentence to review was 10 to midnight is a scummy little sewer of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I can't disagree with it. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I love it. Uh, so Alec Baldwin screen tested for the role of the killer. Uh, Cannon sold the film's premier television rights for the then unheard of $2.5 million. See, that's why these, those Cannon scrappers, mm-hmm. they just sold shit and used that money immediately for something else, and they got as many good actors as they can. That's a great documentary. Me and Justin talk about the documentary. I've seen it. Have you seen it? Yeah. yeah. The the canon, I, I can't remember the actual name of it, but uh, it's like the exploits of uh, something something, and it, it's the canon documentary. If you Google it, it's phenomenal. It's top tier, one of the best documentaries. That one in the Corman documentary, I watched both of them. I saw Roger them. Corman in a movie. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, he's great. Recently. Films. He was in... Godfather uh, 2. What was he in? Apollo 13. Oh, was he? He That's was right. doing That's a tour right. at the facility. He's so noticeable to anyone who's yeah. really into films. I mean, if you're not... You wouldn't know who he is. Yeah, I mean, you you got to really be in the films, I think, if you know uh, Roger Corman. It's not the average film lover wouldn't know who he was. Uh, so this was the first of numerous films that Bronson made for the Cannons guys, including, and I own them all, uh, The Evil That Men Do, uh, Murphy's Law, Death Wish 4, Messenger of Death, and then that Kinjite. Have you seen all those? You've seen Murphy's Law, right? Mm-hmm. Murphy's Law is awesome. Yeah. That's another one that kind of breaks through as a, a, a better movie. And I think this one's better than that. But Murphy's Law is really good. Uh, and finally, The Body Count. Seven poor motherfuckers died in this movie. So let's go through it. Let's talk a little bit. What, what's your overall thoughts about it before we go through it? I liked it. Yeah, it was dated, it. but... Yeah, I mean, you got you to gotta kind of look at those movies like that. I watch a lot of 70s <laughs> movies, so the, the dated aspect is kind of, I don't know. Women are so helpless, like most of them. Oh, like, yeah, 90% yeah. of women are completely helpless. That's what you have to go into these thinking, that don't expect this woman to be a badass and run for that door, which they all could have at yeah. 10 different times, yeah. or just kick this motherfucker in the nuts. I mean, like, he's not he was d- killing he the black a... woman in the shower, and yeah. the girl with the dark hair wasn't dead yet. I was yelling at the TV the other day I'd when be, I was watching. I'd be in the hallway. Yep. I mean, this guy is not killing with a... Uh, a gun. He's killing with a knife. Yeah. I mean, so you have somewhat of a chance. He is a fucking runner. I can tell you that. He's quick. So how great was that opening, though? I love this opening where we got to see him set, do, up, his set up his alibi, yeah. which you don't get to see in a lot of movies. So what happens is he's planning on killing this guy and this girl. He, he only kills girls that kind of slight him. He's this creepy dude. Uh, Inc- they incel. Uh, what's that? They call him incel. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Huh. Involuntarily celibate. Interesting. I never even know that it was a term for that. I think if this had if this <laughs> every had school shooter from, think equate school shooter to yeah. that. That's usually what it is. As much as I I, I love the movie and I jo- I loved uh, Jay Lee Thompson's version of it. Uh, man, if like Fincher got his ha- hold of this script, it would have been a completely different movie. It would have been serious as hell and it yeah. would have been scary as shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it does have that kind of a movie that Fincher would snatch up too. They didn't spend a lot of time on the deaths. No, no, no. It, it, it was stabby, stabby, stabby. Yeah. Move on. Oh, and especially mm-hmm. with Charles Bronson being the star, they had to have Charles Bronson on the uh, on the on the camera as much as they could. Luckily, we got more of that Gene Davis guy, who, like I said, not a great actor, but. I think him not being a great actor made his character weird. So I think it in, in that aspect, I think he was perfect for it. So what we see him do, like I said, he wants to kill this guy and a girl who are like hanging out in the woods in a van just having sex. They're completely naked. And so he goes to a movie theater and in, uh, initiated— He worked with her. Uh, yeah, he worked with her. Like she I said— spawned, like I said, spurned his advances. Yep, which a lot of people did. And if you do, watch the fuck out. Don't be creepy. <laughs> yeah, don't be creepy. <laughs> And, uh, and he is very creepy for sure. So he goes to the movie theater and he makes a point of talking to the ticket taker. Mm-hmm. He makes a point of hitting on two girls at the concession stand and then sitting next to them to the point where they told him, hey, can't you get the, get the hell out of here? And they had to move seats. So he wants to be able to, when they come to him later on for his alibi, say, yeah, several people have seen me go talk to these people. And uh, it was perfect, actually. So, well, the brilliant part is he came back. Yeah, so he... After he, he builds his alibi there, he goes into the bathroom and he slips through the window and he goes off to where he knows these uh, this person is at like Lover's Lane. And he takes every stitch of his clothes off and takes and 
So he's completely naked other than like uh, latex, gloves. latex gloves. And then he goes and we see him uh, slaughter the guy first and then chase this girl like two naked people straight up running. The mm-hmm. nudity is is abundant in this movie. And so he's chasing this woman in the woods and like she cowers and she could have probably uh, like, yeah, you couldn't do this helpless woman Keep thing. Keep running. There was a lot of helpless woman things here uh, in the movie and you just kind of have to go with it. So slaughters her. And then goes back to the movie theater, gets his clothes back on, goes through the window, sits down, and even makes a point of talking to those girls again. Hey, sorry, I uh, sorry, I uh, made uh, a pass at you before or something like that. But then he still was creepy as hell, and then they he ended up leaving. So they they end up having that great investigation where they came out there and they saw it and they broke it down what's going on and they had to start calling people in and that's where they kind of brought in the new partner and we get to know that relationship with them and then when they bring him in he, he's he got the perfect alibi but like most people that talk with this guy they realize he's off he's not right man and then some of the other stuff that i love because it's it's mentioned at one point that the girl's got a diary so he was like, holy fuck, this girl's got a diary. I got to go back to that house. And slips in her house really looked like an apartment here in like Gainesville when uh, he went to that house to oh, get yeah, the diary. Yeah. It really did. Because I mean, a lot of these girls are like nurses and they live at like a nor- nurse kind of dormitory type yeah. uh, thing at uh, this specific building. So he slips back in to get her diary, but doesn't realize, first of all, that there's another girl in the house and you think he's going to kill her. And I think he, he doesn't kill her, right? He, he, this he, is where the Night Stalker sort of... Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. That kind of had like, that kind of, uh, that vibe to it for sure. And he realizes the the uh, diary's missing. And then it's his turn that he gets visited by the cops at his house and everything. And it's a great scene where they're reading uh, bits of the diary to him. And they're all, and uh, she's like, she took good notes on all these guys she dated. They found that crazy sex toy. <laughs> yeah. That was like so in, weird. Uh, and they, they like showed it to him in the police station. You know what this is for? It's for jacking off, Warren. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just seeing Charles Bronson do that type of stuff. So... It's building through this whole thing that Charles Bronson really, really thinks that this guy did it. I mean, and he clearly did do it. They're showing the audience that he did it. So it's not one of those uh, types of movies where it's kept in the dark if uh, this guy is really guilty or if he's not. It's, it's, we kind of are rooting for Charles. We're definitely rooting for Charles Bronson to catch him. But Charles Bronson, and this is where it almost has a kind of insomnia vibe to yeah. it also is eventually Charles Bronson realizes he's not going to be able to get this guy. This guy's uh, taking his clothes off. He's doesn't leaving a stitch of DNA around. And he start, He gets the idea that, hey, I'm going to have to plant evidence on this guy. He says, you know, it's for the right reason. This guy's going to go. He's going to kill other women. Other women are turning up dead. Another woman turns up dead. Uh, this woman, uh, Now he's got eyes for, like, Charles Bronson's daughter and yeah. everything. He just can't. You gotta take it to your grave. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's the thing, man. You know, I mean, that's gonna, the deal with that. Yeah, stuff. if you're you gonna got, do it, you're gonna do it. And it, it surprised me. Did it surprise you when he like when he admitted to when it? he admitted to it? Only what I was thinking was he wanted him to get off so that he could. There's still part of me that thinks that could himself, be the case too. But he tanked his career. Yeah, I, I think he was at the end of his career also. Thirty years. So, so he plants the evidence, and his partner, his new partner, figures it out. I mean, it, it was what was driving me nuts is the way Charles Bronson did it is he went to the kind of uh, the morgue and he got some other guy. He got the main guy there who was working on duty at 2 a.m. to go in the other room and do something. And while he was in the other room, he went and he got uh, a blood sample. But man, did he take his time, man. You know, Charles Bronson could have went in there, boom, 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 get that drug and run out. And that guy never would have seen him come out of that door. But Charles Bronson took his time, and that guy saw him come out of the door, didn't think much of it, and wasn't going to say anything to anyone until the partner came and questioned him and said, hey, was Charles Bronson here recently? And he's like, yeah, and he came out of the place where the blood was uh, in cold storage and everything, so you knew right there, oh, man, he's got Charles Bronson, man. He's totally got him. And they got to keep their mouth shut. Yeah, and so his partner came to tell him, and he said, they're going to put me on the stand. And even Jeffrey, uh, what's his name, Um, Jeffrey Lewis, the... Warren's like shady lawyer. Yeah, I, I love how that discussion where he's talking to him about pleading crazy mm-hmm. because it works in later yeah. on at the end of the movie mm-hmm. where he's like, "Don't worry," he says, "If I can't get you off this way, I'll get you off insanity and everything." And he's like, "He's like, I'm not insane." He says, "Hey, you, you're not gonna walk out of uh, uh you're not gonna walk out of that uh, of that jail if you're 
convicted on this, you will walk out of an insane asylum. So play the game. You know, that's what this is. So he had no illusions. I mean, there was there was some problems. Oh, uh, I mean, obviously some. Bronson had all the time in the world to shoot him before the other cops showed up. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, they're, they're, and he had a knife. You can, that's completely this justifiable. The, this was the final shot you're talking Running about? Running down the road? Oh, yeah, yeah, The yeah, two yeah. of them came yeah. way before any of the other cops got there. I I think he's... Re- and what's crazy is, yeah, he, he should have done it ahead of time and be like, look what this guy did, you know? It looks a lot worse when he's, uh, when Everybody, he's surrounded by the well, cops. Well, they were handcuffing him. Yeah, yeah, when it happens, so yeah. Well, we're jumping ahead a little bit. Some of the... Uh, so Charles Bronson admits... Like fully in court, he like calls the lawyer over while the lawyer is giving his yeah. like summation mm-hmm. and everything, and they have the sidebar. And he was like, "I planted this evidence, you know. You're gonna have to cancel this." And they let Warren out. So at that point, we realized I oh, can't keep from doing it, man. He can't help it. I love the the dirty phone calls. He's leaving people and everything. And he's <laughs> it was doing this such fake a bad voice. act too. Like- uh, and you can I love that they recorded it. They got the voice recording and they played him next to each other. And they realized it's, this is clearly the same guy. I mean, the same guy's doing it. The same inflection and everything. So they they almost. It, it, he almost jumped. Feel like he jumped the gun planning the evidence. Like if he a little bit, maybe one other person would have died. But I think that he would have the the spotlights on him. But once he got out, he just started following him around and making his life hell and mm-hmm. driving him nuts. Like being beside him at the uh, at the stoplight and looking over and smiling at him and everything. It was really funny uh, to watch. Charles Bronson kind of just drive this guy nuts. And uh, but one of the best scenes in the movie is that last kind of. Uh, that when he got into the girls' like dormitory, so we've got all the girls are there yeah. in one place. It's just nighttime. Those murders are on Bronson. Uh, what's that? Those, I put those on Bronson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For those sure. murders. So, Charles Bronson's daughter is living at the dormitory with Kelly Preston, with the Ola Ray, and with the uh, the short haired dark girl, and they're getting ready for bed. They a couple of Ola Rays taking a shower, the other girls making some food. They're uh, they're just settling in for the night. And Warren shows up, and obviously this is a different time period too. Warren shows up at the front door with uh, with roses, saying they're for Kessler, and everything. And yeah, sure, I'll open the door. I'll accept the roses. Which 1983? Why wouldn't you? I mean, I delivered flowers, uh, so and, and this was in like 2000, and people were still opening the doors for that. Now it seems shady, you know. Just leave them at the front door. I'll get them. Uh, and he he pulled that. I got to give them to her directly, and everything. And then. He ends up busting through the door, and then he goes butt-ass crazy. First, he takes his clothes off. You know, he's not... Uh, did he already have his clothes off when he went through the door, or did he take them off inside? I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember if he had his clothes off already if he took them off in the hallway. He must have, because he was very careful about where his DNA was going to go. So I bet he, he was outside that door holding those flowers butt-ass naked. <laughs> when he came in, he knocked Kelly Preston out, and then uh, really great acting by that girl that they not giving any uh, credit. I don't the think she had hair? done... The dark-haired girl hadn't done anything else. She but like she the, had, look- had to cry and cry and cry. Yeah, she looked like, like young Selma Blair, kind of, in a way. Or Grease. Who's the... The, the main girl, the Olivia Newton-John. No, her friend with the with the look just Rizzo? like her. <laughs> no, Rizzo. I'm out of my Grease characters. Okay. <laughs> uh, she was really good. I mean, because Warren's like screaming at her and she's crying and crying. Where is she? Where is he? Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. And she's there someplace. I, at this point, I don't think. I think she's in like the other room be- and behind a door or something like that. Kelly Preston's knocked out, and Ola Ray is in the shower with the shower shut off, just kind of like huddled in the corner. And she would have lived if she didn't reach for the friggin' towel, because once she reached for the towel, Warren immediately thought that must have been Charles Bronson's daughter, and like rushed at the uh, at the shower curtain and opened it and just stabbed her in the stomach, uh, and killed her, killed the girl with the short hair. I don't think Kelly Preston ended up dying. I think she was just I knocked thought he out. Stabbed her as soon Did he, he stab came her in the okay in the stab? door? I thought he knocked her no. out. Yeah. So Kelly, sorry, Kelly, you died too. And so all that was left in the in the room was Charles Bronson's daughter, and she ended up hiding under underneath uh one of the beds and we're seeing warren's legs go around it was done quite well and it was bright as hell you know they did not hold off on uh like i think a lot of actors wouldn't have gone all the way in it like gene davis did i mean he was like i don't give a shit obviously they there's deleted shots of him just totally flopping all over the place i guarantee oh, it and that because there was no other way to film it it was just done in the editing that they did clever things uh to kind of uh, 
not show them. I mean, they. I think if it was allowed back then, today you probably could have done it uh, because they, you can kind of you, you can now. you can show dick in movies now. I mean, not as much as you would probably have to if you were going to really show them in that scene, but to have glimpses of it, you could do today for sure. It might even make it creepier. Uh, so yeah, eventually he ends up almost getting the best of her, but she does what she should have done in the first place is just kick that motherfucker in the nuts and run for the door. Mm-hmm. And once she gets outside, then it's like a foot race. Charles Bronson already knows that, uh, he's coming after her. He had made a phone call to her and he, he heard the commotion on the phone. So he's racing over there. And, uh, then it's just that I love that music and him running through the streets. I don't know how many takes Gene Davis did, but he was booking it like he was, uh, kinda, was barefoot. I think he was bare. I mean, he had to have been barefoot, but I'm wondering in the making of it, he probably wasn't barefoot. But in the wide shots, he certainly was because he was. Yeah, he wasn't going to wear his shoes in there or anything. But yeah, center of the road down the highway. This guy is booking it after this girl. Like if Charles Bronson hadn't taken a shortcut to get to him, because it was a great kind of shot where we think Gene is, uh, we think Warren is just about to uh, get Charles Bronson's daughter, and Charles Bronson like appeared right in the scene, like he had taken a shortcut there, and he's got his. Uh, his gun out and everything. And that's the scene we were talking about where he should have just blown away there. I mean, that's your chance. They're not going to, I mean, even though that was what that, that great callback moment was because when he's going to shoot him, uh, the Warren character is screaming everything like almost verbatim that Jeffrey Lewis had said to him in the, in the cell when he was like, I'm crazy. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm sick. I need to be put away. I'm not well. And he, he's shouting these all these things. And when I get out, I'm going to come after you and everything. And uh, Charles Bronson, just he pushed him to his limits, shot him right in the head, and he went down right in front of Like you said, he was already handcuffed, and there were cops everywhere. And then they cut. And then they cut. Well, they went to that wide like yeah. uh, Clint Eastwood shot where, mm-hmm. they just, <laughs> where they just pull out on that dolly. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, it was cheesy when you, like I said, when you go into canon films, you almost have to go in with like a, a cheekiness. I mean, you, same you, with Corman. You, you know, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be not the, the best. So when you go, when you go into these movies. I think about Michael Bay when I think that too. Yeah. But when you go into those movies like that and they turn out to be rather decent, you're, you're very, it's very satisfying and rewarding. You were like, wow, this is not like just all the other Canon films, which there's some stinkers, man. But if you well, want Well, it's probably a, at the upper end of their budget. It's crazy how Canon when, and we have a whole Canon pod. If you want to go back and, uh, it was probably a hundred episodes ago. Me and Justin did a two part and we talked a little bit about this movie, but we were doing so many movies. We just kind of jumped over it. Didn't do like an in-depth thing, but go back and listen to our two part Canon special. My God, it's a fun pod, man, because we're talking about some real, I mean, this master of the universe in there and, and Canon went through a phase where they did just ninja movies. They were like, let's do ninja movies. No, now we're doing breakdancing movies. Let's do <laughs> it's break like it was run by a bunch of teenagers. I know. It was like, they did all the show Kazugi like ninja movies. Then they did the break two electric boogaloo movies and then they got Charles Bronson and so they were like alright let's do the Charles Bronson movies and then Charles Bronson got a little long in the tooth so they got Chuck Norris and they came in with Fire Walk with me <laughs> we don't need that. you Charles yeah sorry <laughs> well he was getting older at that we point. got Chuck and, yeah so we got Chuck and Chuck went in to do Invasion <laughs> Chuck USA. could do spin kicks and you can't yeah. and, and he put out some good ones Invasion USA Delta Force those were some decent Charles mm-hmm. Bronson movies I mean there was a, there's a lot of people that liked Fire, uh, Fire Walker but uh, did I say Fire Walk with me before no fire walker fire fire walk me is a great movie and that's uh david lynch obviously but yeah fire walker it was it was good it was like it's it's right up there with king solomon's minds and alan quarterman the lost city of gold i I love those those. movies man we grew up with watching Mm -hmm. those movies but they're not good films they're not in any way good films but they are fun films and i will Mm -hmm. put them on all day long i have a huge canon collection i probably own 50 canon films uh and I'm telling you, when you watch the documentary, it's one of those things that I ended up, uh, when I discovered it, I realized that it was cheap everywhere, like four bucks. And I think I bought you a copy. I think you own a copy of it. Uh, I think I bought you a copy, and I think I, I definitely bought Justin a copy. And Justin's You like, get a copy? And you get oh, yeah. It's one of those movies. You get a copy? I used to do that with like books back when I was reading all the time. Oh, do you like Brave New World? You haven't read Brave New World? Here, I bought like four copies of it. Have one. I did that several times with that <laughs> and with like that 1984. I was now you get guy. on a list. Now I do. Well, yeah, now you get on a list. <laughs> And then I did, was doing it with movies for the longest time. I had like so many copies of like 
Boondock Saints and like Donnie Darko that I was giving out to people that didn't hadn't heard of him. Uh, but I hadn't done that in a while till I watched the Canon documentary. I was like, everyone needs this. Everyone movie go. You don't even have to like these movies. The documentary is so good. And it, uh, I've mentioned it before. What I like about documentaries, a good documentary is complete and utter candor uh, of like, I want to hear all the bruises and the the dirt that was involved yeah. that no one hear, cares. oh he was wonderful to work with blah, blah, blah. Uh, on the canon film one of the uh one of the cast members who was being interviewed had her original script and lit it on fire in front of the interview for the documentary this is what i think of the gullum brothers <laughs> It lit it on fire right there. And I was like, holy shit, she just lit her fucking shit on fire. And everyone's like, the sets were crazy. They were wild. They didn't know what was going on. It was like serious was guerrilla, guerrilla filmmaking. filmmaking. I mean, but it was... I mean, that's where we were. And they, But they were very level, but... candid with, if it's not exploding and if there's not tits jiggling, we don't know on it, you know? And that's what we, we want to make. So, and yeah, like I said, that's why every once in a while you'll get a gem that's kind of hidden in the dirt down there. And I'm I mean, probably not for, the best. These are made for dudes. Yeah, I'm also probably not the best judge of telling you what canon movies to watch and avoid because I love them all for whatever reason. I'll, I'll watch Charles Bronson assassination with his wife, you know, that uh, that woman he married later in his life that they did movies like was it Jill Ireland? I think it was Jill Ireland that he ended up doing like he was like he did that Clint Eastwood thing that oh I married this woman and I'm gonna be in movies with her for like ten years. I'm like oh, oh god, dude. Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand, yeah. Do you know those guys? Uh, the Coen Brothers aren't making movies together. There was a there. They've been broken up as a filmmaker team, from what I've heard. Hmm. That that Hamlet movie was just Ethan Coen. And who do you think is better? Uh, That's the well, argument. That, well, that Ham- well, it was Macbeth. It was a black and white Macbeth movie with Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. I think he was happy. I think it was like a Yoko thing. I think it's Francis McDormand. I think he's sick of putting Francis McDormand yeah. in movies. Hey. But. Uh, from what we've heard, they're not going to be making movies together anymore. They'll, and it's going to, they'll do it again. Yeah, eventually they will, but, I mean, those guys, they need to be together. I mean, they can't be separate. Uh, we certainly didn't real. We, we couldn't see. Every once in a while, a solo career is good for you. Yeah, I mean, look at uh, Tom Petty. <laughs> he got better. I mean. Almost. A lot would say he got better. Phil Collins. You learn a lot, too. <laughs> if you have to now do the job that two people were doing. Yeah. And who knows what was going on in those sets and who was the primary writer on different things yeah. and everything. They, I mean, they always got listed together. She didn't really know. But, yeah. So, overall, I give it two thumbs up. I definitely don't. I'm gonna, I'll read Ebert's review again because I thought it was so great. All right. Ten to Midnight is a scummy little sewer of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Uh, yeah, overall, I would totally recommend it. Would you recommend it to people? For sure? Yeah. yeah. If, well, most people. Yeah. I mean, you got to know what they like. Obviously. Like my brother-in-law, Mike. Yeah. He's probably seen it a hundred times. Oh, really? He likes those kind of indie type movies? Yeah. yeah. In, indie little grungy movies like this. I, I'm. It's my bread and butter, man. I, I seek them out. I, I try to f- look up, I'll Google constantly 70s action movies or 70s exploitation movies, like the top 10 list of them all. And if I haven't seen them, I'm writing them down because I've I've watched some really good movies in the last year that of ones that I've just randomly put on. And there was a, a, a run there where I wasn't watching trailers for any of them. I was like, I'll write, I'll read the write up. I'll hear what people are saying about it. And then I'll just buy it and I'll, I'll watch them cold. So I ended up watching a lot of movies like that this year, specifically cold. Some of the new movies you can't really do that with. You can't really avoid trailers now for new movies. They're playing all over the place. They're playing at the front of the theater and everything. And uh, I mean, with the new movies, I kind of want to watch the trailers because there's a lot less good stuff out there, I think. But eh, maybe I'm wrong. There's good movies just a lot out. more stuff out there. 2023, man. A lot of good movies still uh, coming out in uh, this coming year. Not any, not any many in the next few months, but uh, in the summertime is when it's going to be kicking. It's going to be a good summer. But we got some exciting stuff coming up next week. We're going to be doing House and House 2. If, as long as it's still available on Tubi, we've realized, Tubi, as much as we love you, you guys snatch those suckers away real quick. Uh, I was We were going to do Green Room. Me and Justin were going to do Green Room, and they got rid of Green Room real quick. I did see um, Night of the Comet. I had comments on there. It's been on there for a while, so I think some of the canon ones don't move. Like I was pretty confident when I picked I 10 to Midnight. I, I watched it like... Last week. Oh, did you? Well, yeah. we can do Night of the Comet uh, because I love Night of the Comet. That's one that not, not it was a lot of really good. About it. Yeah, it's I, a good I movie. I was surprised how good it was. It, and as far as I mean, it's a straight up like apocalyptic mm-hmm. zombie movie, right? It's it is zombie related, right? No, 
I see. I own it. I own the Blu-ray for it. I should know. I mean, they don't go into it. They don't go into it. But there is. You yeah. don't get a sense that you'll turn into them if you get bit by one. Yeah, I liked it. I liked so. it a lot. It was one of the first PG-13 movies we watched mm-hmm. back in the day. I remember. So yeah, that might be a good one to uh, to to look over. They got a lot of good stuff on Tubi. I mean, there's a reason we picked this platform to talk about because there's no bigger platform out there that has as many like obscure gems that a lot of people aren't. They definitely have the obscure ones. Yeah, and we'll go into like a lot of these like these cheesy action ones and we'll do a lot of the skin flicks from the 80s like Ski School is actually a really good movie. Uh that it you you get lost in the shuffle with those ones that have like similar themes like Ski School, Private Resort, uh there was another uh, Ski Squad. There was so many of those ones, but there was one called Ski School that was actually a pretty decent movie. Ski Patrol. Ski pa- a lot of them. Hot Dog the Movie. Hot Dog the Movie was another one that was better just... Uh, yeah, I guess Better Off Dead. It's weird ski, how there were so many freaking ski movies out there. But the Ski thing, School man. was pretty good. So we'd like to do a bunch of the skin flicks. Some of the black exploitation films that are all on there. Coffee and Foxy Brown are on there. A lot of uh, Quentin Tarantino favorites, man, you can find on Women that. in Prison. Women in Prison movies. The, the, there's a couple of those that are actually really good like i've told justin too i I don't want to i don't want to direct people to intentionally garbage movies so i want to do movies that we really genuinely think are good and are redeemable and are uh, like gems that we can find in there uh and they seem to be a lot there so it'll be interesting so if you want to get a hold of us this is a good opportunity to let us know what your uh kind of favorite Tubi titles that you would like to see us talk about and review on here. And you can do that. You can send us an email, uh, fastenedwithfilms at gmail.com, or you can shoot us a message on Facebook, which is probably the easiest uh, place to go. You can uh, see which movie we're going to be talking about that week, and we always post what uh, the episode is week to week. Uh, You can communicate with me and Justin through there, or you can uh, leave us a like or a comment right on the episode themselves. Let us know what you thought of 10 to Midnight. Or our uh, previous ones, which we've also done, uh, if you want to go back, you can listen to us talk about Rolling Thunder. And me and Justin talked about Tucker and Dale versus Evil yesterday. So there's a, there's a lot of good stuff that uh, we're going to do over the next couple weeks. Like I said, we're going to be doing House 1 and 2 next week. And then we've got our anniversary episode where we're going to do a, uh, a three-movie wild card each. And then we're going to do a trivia challenge. And then me and Justin are going to do our top 10 lists from 2022 which is still changing as I'm watching, man. It's a lot of good movies that squeak out at the end of the year, you know? And uh, it'll be interesting what uh, pops up there. Golden Globes are on the 10th. When this pops up, I think uh, the Golden Globes are tonight. When you're listening to this, watch the Golden Globes. They're usually a shit show. And uh, specifically this year where everyone's allowed to drink and where uh, – Brendan Fraser is going to win the Best Actor Award, and nobody's going to show up <laughs> to accept the award. Uh, it should be a very interesting show. So Why isn't he not showing up? Because the president of the Golden Globes is the one who me dude him, who, who uh, molested him or uh, assault, sexually assaulted him. Oh, so he already said he's not coming. Yeah, he says, no, don't expect me to be there. Is that guy in power? I don't know if he's still in power, but I I think the people that are involved in the Golden Globes weren't actively uh, helping him when they needed to be helping him. So it's going to make the Golden Globes look like shit. Uh, (laughs) So I'm all for that shit show. After the Oscars, when we saw someone punched, come on, they got to up the level a little bit. Like it would be great if Brendan Fraser did show up and just walked on the stage and started like pissing everywhere. Fuck you, people! I don't think he's gonna do that. I don't think he's gonna do it, but I can hope. I'll bet you. <laughs> you want to put down I'll some take money? That bet. <laughs> All right. Well, until next week with another great episode. See you later. You sick son of a bitch.